0: Good to be with you today. Coming to you live from my home here in Louisville, Kentucky. Pastor had asked me to share the word today. And even though we aren't having our in-person services, we're still going to share the word with you. Amen? Hallelujah. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to be reading from today. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. Hallelujah. But first, let's pray. Precious Father, we're thankful today, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us, Lord. God, just to come together with your people, Lord God, via Facebook Live, Lord. God, we're able, Lord, to share, Lord, your word today, God. We ask you, Father, that you just move on us, Lord God. Let us speak your word clearly, Lord. Father, with simplicity and understanding, God, let us, Lord God, share, Lord God, What you would have us do today, Lord, let us encourage the people, Lord. We honor you today, God. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord God. We glorify your name, give you praise, and give you honor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So we're glad that everyone could uh, tune in this morning. Uh, Like I said, we canceled our in-person services today due to the weather. Not really sure what it was going to do this morning. I know that depending on where you live, you're either getting ice or cold rain or maybe snow. Just a mess out there today. So, thought it would be better for everyone just to stay in the warmth of their homes. Stay safe. Enjoy themselves. Amen. Enjoy your family. And enjoy spending time together today. But we want to share the word with you today. So, John chapter 14, I'm going to be reading verses one through seven in the NIV, says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus was talking here and he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart, don't let your heart, don't let your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions be troubled. So let me ask you a question. How did you deal with this past year? 2020 all the way through till now. How how did you deal with it? I got to admit, I, I don't think I did very well at times. And... You know, I've been troubled. I've been upset. I've been worried about a lot of things. You know, I've been concerned about this COVID nineteen stuff. You know, I initially thought, you know, and this is just something that they're worked up, and it's not any bigger than the flu. It's it's just something. You know, it's just something that the government's using to manipulate people in an election year. And even though they did do that. And they're still doing it to an to an extent. You know, I found out that it is real. You know, Miss Shannon came down with with it right before Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving. Miss Shannon came down with it, and then about a week later, Bella came down with it, and I came down with it. But the fortunate thing is, we had really mild cases. Our our symptoms weren't bad at all, and, and we got over it fairly quickly. Uh, It took us a few weeks, you know, we had to stay in quarantine, do all that kind of stuff. But, but we got past it pretty quickly. And and other than just having a residual cough, you know, I'm, you know, I'm good as I was. But, you know, some people weren't as blessed, you know, my stepfather and, and, and my mom came down with it the week after Christmas. And, um, you know, he he had some comorbidities and he passed away on, on January 13th. But he was 93 years old and he had other things wrong with him. So, you know, uh, and my mom, just, she just got out of the hospital this week. She's been in the hospital since New Year's Eve. And uh, she just got out of the hospital. But, you know, this illness has wreaked so much havoc on her body. You know, she's in a, she got out of the hospital, went to a nursing home rehab facility and and that's probably where she's going to have to live because it just weakened her body so much they're working with her and they're going to try and get her strength back but they said that they didn't know but the good thing is I've still got my 88 year old mama with me and I can call her on the phone and I can talk to her you know, I, I was troubled by the way that a lot of cities and states and, and governments, you know, seized on this COVID-19 thing to shut, shut things down. You know, they shut, or at least, you know, curtailed the work a, a, a great deal, their ministry, you know, but, but casinos and, um, uh, liquor stores and all the other stores got to remain open and people just go and do whatever they want to, you know? And so that, you know, that bothered me, uh, I, I was worried about our community, you know, and, and the businesses that you and I have seen shut down and and close up during this thing, and people out of work, uh, while a lot of people in government is still drawing their check and still getting paid, and uh, they turn a blind eye to what's happening to the community and to the people and everything that's happening to these that are losing the things that they spent a lifetime and, and their life savings. Building, it troubled me. You know, I was troubled when when elected officials abandoned sections of their cities and, and just let whatever happened there, you know, they allowed violence and anarchy to run in the streets. You know, I, I was troubled with the people this year tearing down statues, attempting to erase the past, pointing out our failures while ignoring the successes that we've had as a nation. And have we as a nation and a people made mistakes in the past? Have we acted with prejudice at times and disregard for others? Yes, we have. But we've also built a nation where people can, people of every color and every religion and every nationality have succeeded. And they've prospered. We've built a nation that was, that's first to respond when there's things going on in the world that aren't right. When, um, when people like Hitler went in and tried to take over the world, the United States stepped in and we helped and we fought. And, and, you know, my dad was a World War II era veteran. You know, he volunteered, he's 18 years old, he volunteered to go to Europe. They drove out those evil people and, and and you know they they were the first to respond. And they went in, you know, they didn't ask nothing in return. They we rebuilt these countries. We allowed them to charge us extra for what they would sell us just so that we could help rebuild their economies. Drove out communism, drove out things that, that weren't right. You know, we shouldered a disproportionate amount of the expense of the world in all these times because we believed it was the right thing to do. I, I was troubled. I was angered when people that haven't ever known a day of hunger or, or want in their lives complained about the country that provided them with everything that, that they have and, and uh, given them so much. There's no place else in the world that you can live and have as much as you can get here in the United States. I was angered and troubled by the double standard that a lot of our politicians have established. You know, in the interest of public safety, y'all shouldn't get together with your families. Y'all shouldn't travel. Y'all shouldn't eat eat in a restaurant, but they go and they do what they want to do. Well, it's okay for me. You know, I got to do this. I got to do that. So how about this month? Anything troubled you about this month? Anything bother you about having our nation's capital stormed? Anything bother you about Congress again impeaching March, February 9th? Does anything bother you about Twitter and other social media outlets shutting down then-President Trump and other conservative council, they're not able to respond publicly to, to their followers or give their perspective on things. You know, big tech shut down the, the, the app parlor because they didn't agree with their things. Does that bother you? But during all of this, we come in God's timing to this portion of the word where we find Jesus saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Really? Don't let your heart be troubled. You know, is Jesus teaching that Christianity is some uh, Pollyanna religion where you put on a fake smile and you go about like everything is wonderful and everything's great and and there's no concerns and there's no pains? You know, despite what some might try to say, the answer to that's a big, resounding no. In life, there's troubles and there's pains, and pretending that they don't exist or that they don't hurt us ain't gonna make them go away. Excuse me. What does the Bible tell us about uh, Jesus? You know, what did he do when he first came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus? He wept. He cried. And guess what? I've cried at the graveside of people before, even my own self. Do I know I'll get to see these these people again? You know, yeah, often. As a minister, as a Christian, you know, that answer is yes. Do I know that they're better off than they are than they were before they left here? You know, a lot of times, many of them, yes. They're in a place where they're not hurting, where they're not sick anymore, where where, where where they don't have to worry anymore. You know they're in the presence of God, but it doesn't mean we as Christians don't miss their company and, and pretending that it's okay doesn't make it so. You know you, you ask a present a parent not to cry at the grave side of their child that doesn't make any sense. So, what do we do? You know, was Jesus troubled when he saw what was going on in the temple? When he saw livestock being sold and folks being swindled by money changers? Was he troubled when he saw injustice? And when he saw a woman called in adultery being threatened by a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites? Yeah, he was. He was upset. He was troubled. Turn back a, a chapter there to John chapter 13, verse 21 reading in the NIV again, says after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, verily, very truly, I, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. You know, Jesus had just uh, announced in, in, in script that scripture would be fulfilled and stated that one of the ones that's eating bread with him, one of the ones that's breaking bread with me is going to betray me. The one that's dipping his bread and the sop with me right now is going to betray me. He was troubled. So here we are, the next chapter, chapter fourteen. What's he saying? He's saying that despite the things that are going on in life, despite the pain, despite the setbacks and difficulties associated to being a Christian in this world. <coughs> We have more cause not to be troubled than we have to be troubled. Then he gives us four reasons to not dwell on our troubles. First reason, we're not overwhelmed by our troubles because we believe in God. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes, we're not people without hope. You know, we can be grieved by what's happening in the world and disappointed by the changes that we see happening in our country, but these things don't overwhelm us because we Christians believe that we have an all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present God that oversees everything. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 says this, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. we're not like unbelievers that don't have hope. We believe in God that raises up leaders and tears down our, we we don't like all the lockdowns and the restrictions that have been placed on us, but we're reminded of what Mordecai told his niece Esther when she was made queen of Persia. In Esther chapter four, verse 14, Mordecai asked his niece, who is now the queen, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time As this. In other words, God knew everything that was going to happen and he knew what was happening and he placed Esther where she was when she was because he was going to use her to make a difference in that nation. What was true of Esther is also true of our children and our grandchildren. On the day that the capital was stormed, Ryan Derrick wrote this, don't feel sorry for or fear for your kids because the world they're going to grow up in is not what it used to be. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life wasn't a coincidence or an accident. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as children of God. His word. If you haven't been joining the Wednesday night service where Pastor's been teaching from Brother Kenneth E. Hagin's book, The Believer's Authority, you need to get on YouTube. You need to look it up. Go to our our YouTube page and, and find it. Look on the Facebook where Pastor taught on it. I'm sure it's still in the feed somewhere. Just find it. There's been five. Five episodes of it so far on Wednesday night where pastor's teaching on the believer's authority. Teach your children what their authority is in Christ. (coughs) Teach them to walk in faith, knowing that God is in control. Empower them to know that they can change the world. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful that they can do something about it. Every person in all history has been placed in the time they were in because of God's sovereign plan. Still reading what this gentleman wrote. He knew Daniel could handle the lion's den. He knew David could handle Goliath. He knew Esther could handle Haman. He knew Peter could handle persecution. He knows that your child can handle whatever challenge they face in their life. He created them specifically for it. Don't be scared for your children. but be honored that God chose you to parent the generation that's facing the biggest challenges of our lifetime. Rise up to that challenge. Raise Daniels, Davids, Esthers, and Peters. God isn't scratching his head wondering what he's going to do about this mess of the world. He has an army that he's raising up to drive back the darkness and make him known all over the earth. Don't let your fears steal the greatness God has placed on them. I know it's hard to imagine them as anything besides our sweet little babies, and we just want to protect them from anything that could ever be hard on them. But they were born for such a time as this. But the thing of it is, we're not overwhelmed by our troubles because we believe in God. Second thing, we're not overwhelmed by our troubles because we believe in Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In response to his dis- disciples' concerns, he told them, believe in God. Believe also in me. Guys, y'all believe in God. Believe in me too. I know y'all believe in him. I know y'all believe in God. Believe in me. The disciples have been with Jesus for more than three years. They had every reason in the world to believe him. they had seen him do amazing things. They had seen him cast out demons and walk on water. They had seen him heal the sick and stop storms, so they had seen his power. They'd been with him when he healed the woman who touched the hem of his garment. They'd been with him when he told them to let the children come to him, and when he saved the life of the woman that was caught in adultery. They had seen him cast the demon out of the Canaanite woman's daughter and saw how he dealt with the woman at the well that had been married four times and was living with a man now that wasn't her husband. They had seen him feed thousands, fearing that they would collapse on their way home from weakness because they had sat and listened to him teach for so long. They had seen his compassion. <coughs> they had seen him heal the daughter of the synagogue leader after folks said that she was dead they'd seen him delay for several days before he went and raised Lazarus from the dead so they'd seen his timing you know in just the the previous chapter he had washed their feet and he had seen them they had seen him grieve over the city of Jerusalem had seen him weep at the grave of Lazarus so they had seen his love (coughs) Now, Jesus tells them, you've seen my power. You've seen my compassion. You've seen my timing. You've seen my love. Guys, trust me in this. You might not understand what's going to happen in the days ahead. You might not understand why things are going the way that they are. You might not understand why I'm going to die. But trust me, none of this is has to me. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. Nothing in the days ahead is beyond my ability to deal with All this was planned out before the foundation of the world. Believe in God, believe also in me. And if he expected them to believe him, how much more should he expect us to do so because we're on this side of the resurrection? Jesus has already been raised. He, he, he's already completed his work on the cross and gone and preached to the souls in hell and risen up and, and, and took the keys of death in the gra- and hell and the grave from, from Satan. Man, he, he's already won that and we already know that. So how much easier should it be for us to believe in him? And we know he was crucified, but we also know he was raised. We know the devil tried to destroy him, but he whipped the death, death in the grave. We know the devil did everything he could to stop the church, but the fields were watered by the blood of the martyrs, and every place that they scattered Christians, another church was started. We know that the devil used Saul to attack and kill Christians, but Jesus met that wayward man on the road to Damascus and asked him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus turned that Christian persecutor into a Christian preacher. You know, the Roman army crucified our Savior. But God sent missionaries down the very roads that those pagans built, and with Christianity became the official religion of Rome. Nations rise and fall. Buildings are constructed. They're torn down and replaced. Denominations rise up with missionary vigor only to lose their fire and are replaced by other denominations. Churches, individual congregations gather to worship and serve the Lord, only later to disband and become other congregations and be replaced by others. Political parties start and then they get replaced by others. But through it all, one thing remains true. God's still on the throne and someday our savior is going to return. And on that day, he's not going to be thinking about Donald Trump or, or Joseph Biden on that day. He won't, he'll be thinking about that name that's above every other name on that day. Day, the name of Jesus Christ will ring from horizon to horizon. On that day, the angels in heaven, all the starry hosts will be going to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. On that day, every Republican knee will bow. Every Democrat knee will bow. Every Independent knee will bow. Every Communist knee will bow. Every Socialist knee will bow. On that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I serve a risen Savior. I know you do too. He's in the world today. I I know that he's living. Whatever men might say about it, it doesn't matter. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. and, And just the time I need him, he is always near. And then the chorus of that song says, He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Believe in God, believe also in me. Man, Christians are realists. We don't deny there's troubles in the world. We don't deny there's pain and suffering and tears and heartache in the world, but we're not overwhelmed by them. We don't allow our hearts to be overwhelmed by our troubles because we believe in God. We're not overwhelmed by our troubles because we believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in God, believe also in me. John chapter 14, verse one and two, NIV. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to, to prepare a place for you? We're not overwhelmed because we believe in God. We're not overwhelmed because we believe in Jesus. We're not overwhelmed because there's more to life than this. You, you know, I, I got to admit, in recent days, I, I've spent, you know, I, I, I realize now, way too much time fretting over what's going on in the world, especially in our country. You know, I, I, I grieve for what I see tam- taking place, but, but you know what, friends? Nations rise, nations fall, and as Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes, it's all vanity. It's all futility. We serve and vote as Christian citizens, but this is all temporary. The Bible tells us that one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth that everything we're building and working on and worrying about now will one day be destroyed by fire. That's a reason that I don't worry too much about global warming. Well, one day it's really gonna heat up around here. But Jesus is preparing a place for us. There's a place prepared for us called heaven. You know, now notice that Jesus said he's going to prepare a place. Heaven's not a state of mind. It's not some cosmic. And notice that he says there are many rooms or many dwelling places or many mansions, depending on which translation you're reading of the word. But notice he's preparing each of those places for you individually. If you were going to prepare a room for your son, you might put things in there like model planes or pictures of cars, or if he's older, perhaps things for hunting or fishing. If you're going to prepare a place for your daughter, it might have frilly drapes and a lacy comforter and pillowcases, and maybe if your mother was going to move in with you, you might prepare a room for her with lots of pictures to help her recall old memories and maybe some of her favorite books, maybe a puzzle. But each of those rooms would be individually prepared for the person in mind you're preparing it for, taking into mind his or her likes and considering what those would be. But Jesus said in my father's house are many rooms, many mansions. I'm going to prepare one for you. Oh my goodness. You know, Jesus says, I know you're coming. I'm getting your room ready. Can you imagine that? Now, I don't know everything that's in that place. I don't know everything will do there, but I do know a lot of things that won't be there. There won't be rioting in heaven. Won't be no lockdowns in heaven. Won't be any pain or suffering in heaven. After the beginning there won't be any tears in heaven. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus himself will wipe away the tears from our eyes. In heaven, we won't ever have to again say goodbye. In heaven, we'll find our Christian loved ones, our our believing friends and family. In heaven, there's gonna be a great reunion The great evangelist D.L. Moody tells of visiting one of his church members who told him, has thoughts of heaven progressed? The man said, when I was young, I used to think of heaven as a place with great walls and massive towers and gates and domes. I thought of the shining, gleaming streets of gold. I thought about crowds of faceless angels I did not know. I didn't think of heaven much or often, but when I did, that's what I thought of. Then my son died, so when I thought of heaven, I still thought of the massive walls, the gates and towers, the shining gleaming streets, and the crowds of faceless angels, but then I thought of one face in the crowd I would know. I'd see my son there again. Later, I lost two more sons, and then there were three faces in the crowd. I knew who would greet me. Over the years, the crowd in heaven began to be populated by more and more people I knew, friends, relatives, acquaintances who had traveled there. I still thought of the massive walls, looming towers, the domes and gates. I still remembered the shimmering streets. But for me, heaven became more and more the people I would see there again. And as I got older, I found that I was thinking of heaven more and more. Friends, heaven's a real place. It's being prepared for you and me by Jesus himself. And in that place, we ain't going to no longer hurt. We're not going to cry again. In that place, we'll see our friends and loved ones again. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. We're not overwhelmed by our troubles because we believe in God. We're not overwhelmed by our troubles because we believe in Jesus. We're not overwhelmed by our troubles because there's more to life than this. We're not overwhelmed by our troubles because we don't have time. John 14, 3, NIV. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you will be where I am. Jesus is coming again. And who's he coming back for? He's coming back for those who know him. He's coming back for his followers. He's coming back for Christians. John fourteen six says this, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus is the only way to the father. He's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to heaven. You know, therefore we've got a responsibility. Responsibility to sound the alarm, to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus because he's coming again. And only those that know him will escape this world and go to the that place that's prepared for them. There's two destinations, two places prepared for after this life. In Matthew 25:41, we read this. Then he will say also to those on the left, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's two places being prepared for after this life. Jesus tells us in John 14, he's preparing for us personally in heaven. The second is that place of torment. And that was originally prepared for the devil and his angels who rebelled in heaven. But now it's also the destination of those that have rejected Jesus Christ. You know, I'll admit there are times when I I, I would like to just go go away and, and, and take all my family with me and find a place and just go and stay and tell everybody else to leave us alone. You ever feel like that? But but the Lord hadn't called us to be holy hermits, living just for ourselves. He's called us to be ambassadors. He's called us to be, to represent him. He's called us to go in the world and make disciples of every nation. We don't have time to sit down and wallow in our troubles And and our worries, we got work to do. Jesus is coming again and his return has never been closer than it is today. And and here's the thing, we're not descended from fearful men. We come from believers who gave their lives so that that we might be saved. We come from believers who were burned at the stake so that we might have Bibles in a language that we could read and understand. We come from believers who have braved the swamps and the snows and the unknown to carry the gospel to people that have never heard it. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for their sacrifices. And because of them, you and I might be saved. But we've got a responsibility to those who haven't heard it yet. We need to stand for Christ. We need to stand for what's right. And we need to share the the good news. I want to close with this story. Just four days after following the death of his own son in combat, Marine Lieutenant General John Kelly eulogized two other sons of parents in in an unforgettable manner. And this is from Lieutenant General Kelly's speech. Two years ago when I was the commander of all U.S. and Iraqi forces, In fact, the 22nd of April, 2008, two Marine infantry battalions, the 1-9, The Walking Dead, and the 2-8 were switching out in Ramadi. One battalion in the closing days of their deployment, going home very soon, the other just starting its seven-month combat tour. Two Marines, Corporal Jonathan Yale and Lance Corporal Jordan Harder, 22 and 20 years old respectively, one from each battalion were assuming the watch together at the entrance gate of an outpost that contained a makeshift barracks housing 50 Marines. The same broken down ramshackle building was home to 100 Iraqi police, also my men and our allies in the fight against terrorists in Ramadi, a city until recently the most dangerous city on earth and owned by Al-Qaeda. Yale was a dirt-poor, mixed-race kid from Virginia with a wife and daughter, a mother and sister who lived with him, and he supported as well. He did this on a yearly salary of less than $23,000. Harder, on the other hand, was a middle-class white kid from Long Island. They were from two completely different worlds— had they not joined the Marines, they would never have met each other or understood that multiple Americas exist on one's race, education level, economic status, and where you might have been born. But they were Marines, combat Marines, forged in the same crucible of Marine training, and because of this bond, they were brothers as close or closer than it if they had been born of the same woman. The mission orders they received from the sergeant squad leader, I'm sure, went something like this. Okay, you two clowns, stand at this post and let no unauthorized personnel or vehicles pass. You clear? I'm also sure Yale and Harder then rolled their eyes and said in unison something like, Yes, sergeant, with just enough attitude that made the point without saying the words. No kidding, sweetheart. We know what we're doing. Then they relieved two Marines on watch and took up their post at the entry control point of Joint Security Station Nasser in the Sophia section of Ramadi Al-Ambar, Iraq. A few minutes later, a large blue truck turned down the alleyway, perhaps 60 to 70 yards in length, and sped its way through the serpentine of concrete jersey walls. The truck stopped just short of where the two were posted and detonated killing them both catastrophically. 24 brick masonry houses were damaged or destroyed. A mosque 100 yards away collapsed. The truck's engine came to rest 200 yards away, knocking most of a house down before it stopped. Our explosive experts reckoned the blast was made of 2,000 pounds of explosives. Two died and because these two young infantrymen didn't have it in their DNA to run from danger, they saved 150 of their Iraqi and American brothers-in-arms. When I read the situation report about the incident a few hours after it happened, I called the regimental commander for details, as something about this struck me as different. "'Marines dying or being seriously wounded is commonplace in combat. "'We expect Marines, regardless of rank or MOS, to stand the ground and do their duty "'and even die in the process if that's what the mission takes, but this just seemed different.'" The regimental commander had just returned from the site and he agreed, but reported that there were no American witnesses to the event, just Iraqi police. I figured if there was any chance of finding out what actually happened and then to decorate the two Marines to acknowledge their bravery, I'd have to do it as a combat reward that requires two eyewitnesses and we figured the bureaucrats back in Washington would never buy Iraqi statements. If it had any chance at all, it had to come under the signature of a general officer. I traveled to Ramadi the next day and spoke individually to a half dozen Iraqi police all of whom told me the same story. The blue truck turned into the alley and immediately sped up as it made its way through the serpentine. They all said we knew immediately what was going on as soon as the two Marines began firing. The Iraqi police then related that some of them also fired and then to a man ran for safety just prior to the explosion. All survived. Many were injured, some seriously. One of the Iraqis elaborated and with tears Welling up, said they'd run like any normal man would to save his life. What he didn't know until then, he said, and what he learned that very instant was that Marines aren't normal. Choking past the emotion, he said, Sir, in the name of God, no sane man would have stood there and done what they did. No sane man. They saved us all. What we didn't know at the time and only learned a couple of days later after I wrote a summary and submitted both Yale and Harder for posthumous Navy crosses was that one of our security cameras, damaged initially in the blast, recorded some of the suicide attack. It happened exactly as the Iraqis had described. It took exactly six seconds from when the truck entered the alley until it detonated. You can watch in the last six seconds of their young lives. Putting myself in their heads, I supposed it took about a second for the two Marines to separately come to the same conclusion about what was going on once the truck came into their view at the far end of the alley. Exactly no time to talk it over or call the sergeant to ask what they should do, only enough time to take half an instant and think about what the sergeant told them to do only a few moments before. Let no unauthorized personnel or vehicles pass. The two Marines had about five seconds left to live. It took maybe another two seconds for them to present their weapons, take aim, and open up. By this time, the truck was halfway through the barriers and gaining speed the whole time. Here the recording shows several Iraqi police, some of whom had fired their AKs, now scattering like normal and rational men that they were, some running right past the Marines. They had three seconds left to live. For about two seconds more, the recording shows the Marines' weapons firing non-stops, the truck's windshield exploding into shards of glass as the rounds taken it apart, and tore into the body of the one who was trying to get past them to kill their brothers, American and Iraqi bedded down in those barracks, totally unaware of the fact that their lives at that moment depended entirely on two Marines standing their ground. If they had been aware, they would have known they were safe because two Marines stood between them and a crazed suicide bomber. The recording shows the truck careening to a stop immediately in front of the two Marines. In all the instantaneous violence, Yale and Harder never hesitated. By all reports and by the recording, they never stepped back. They never even started to step aside. They never even shifted their weight. With their feet spread shoulder-width apart, they leaned into the danger, firing as fast as they could work their weapons. They had only one second left to live. The truck explodes. The camera goes blank. Two young men go to their God. Six seconds. Not enough time to think about their families, their country, their flag, or about their lives or their deaths, but more than enough time for two very brave young men to do their duty into eternity. That's the kind of people that are on watch all over the world for you. They leaned in. Not the time for us to be overwhelmed by our troubles. And we know who's in charge. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We know there's more to this, to life than this. Let's all lean in and be about the work that God has called us to. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today, Lord, for the opportunity to share your word. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that you've told us, let not our heart be troubled. Lord, we believe in you. We believe in Jesus. We believe, God, that there's more to this life than just this. God, help us, Lord, to be about your business in this world. Let us share your story, Lord God, your word. Lord, let us share the new good news of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. We honor you today, God. We ask you, Father, that you just help us, Lord, to be examples of your light in this world, Lord. We honor you, God, for everything that you've done. We thank you, Lord, God, that you're moving, Lord. God, we just praise you, Lord, God, for all that you do, Lord. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you this morning for tuning in. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday night.